I'm Blake, I'm the youth director. This is Emily, our assistant youth director, and Mark Quest, who's one of our D group leaders. Um, we got this opportunity, we're gonna take 15 minutes and then we're gonna let Craig come up and, Pastor Craig come up and give us a little sermon today. It's gonna be a little different. Um, but we felt like God did something kind of special with our youth group two weeks ago and we wanted to share it. Um, we went to River Valley Ranch like we do every year and at, uh, at River Valley Ranch, we took about 28 students, middle and high, from our youth ministry. And uh, Saturday night, we had two girls come to us um, who are from a youth ministry who shared that they were called some racial slurs. Um, and that our boys were called this and that they had heard about it and then they felt like some of the racial slurs were aimed at them too and they were also uh, had some curse words said to them. And so they were very angry, they wanted to, to fight and, and to their credit, they didn't. These girls were very strong and, and decided to do the right thing and, and come to us and ask for help. Um, we went and we did some mediation with their group and had their, their youth pastor in the room and tried to basically figure out what happened and uh, as we went through that, there was um, a lot of back and forth, not really getting anywhere. Um, there was a special event where, as we weren't getting anywhere, uh, Marquest came in the room and he uh, found out about this. He felt very marginalized as one of, only, uh, one of our only African-American leaders who was there uh, and wasn't a part of this conversation, which was my fault, um, not thinking forward as a, as a white male, just not knowing and thinking. So uh, we're reconciled, we're, I think we're good now, but um, uh, he came in, and he came in with the righteousness of, of God, he was very angry, and he, he, he'll share that in a little bit, and these girls were very moved, you could tell that that scared, scared them in a way, but he wasn't cussing or saying anything that was wrong, he was saying everything that was right, and they were feeling the conviction of God. Um, as that happened, uh, a couple of our girls who were in the room with Miss Emily, uh, you know, there was very emotional for them. She's going to share some of that in a second. Uh, had to leave the room and just felt very overwhelmed by this whole situation. Very hurt, very um, uh, angry. And Emily will share more of that in a second. Uh, as this happened, I started to realize there's this, this huge issue that's going on in our back, uh, in our room with all the guys in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, I need to get out of here and go be with our guys. We, we had 19 guys back in the room. And... Um, you know, they're, they're processing this racial stuff and they're feeling very hurt. And um, I just felt like God was calling me to go be with them. So we finished up with this mediation. We never got an apology. Um, and it was very really hard. And so we went up into the room. And uh, Marquess was very hurt and upset. He'll share that in a minute. Um, and we just had this really amazing experience with the guys where we, um, we kind of all locked arms. And I came in and I, st I started crying. And I just told them, let's gather around, black, white, all of us in the room. And uh, I said, sometimes inside of heaven, we're not going to get the truth. We're not going to get justice. I said, but, um, but I love you. I think that you're special. I love being your youth pastor. I love being your church member and your friend. And uh, right now, I was just going to let them go around and share their feelings of anger. They could cuss if they wanted to cuss. If they wanted to yell, they could yell. They could just get it out. And so some of our boys were, you know, angry. They said they were angry and hurt. Someone felt disrespected. Very quick stuff. Um, one kid said, you know, I, I forgive them already. I just want to get past this and, and not let them ruin my time. And I, and I even said, you know, that's, that's great that you're there, but not everybody has to feel that. Um, and then Mark Quest went, and he, he shared his just deep, 
deep pain, and he'll share some of that with you guys in a minute. Um, and as we got through that, we just ended on the Lord's Prayer. And it was a very, very sur surreal moment, just feeling the Holy Spirit in the room um, in a very strong way, where um, we got to that part where, you know, forgive us of our trespasses, you know, and that just became a very strong reality in that moment. And when we got done, I looked at our guys and I just said, all right, we're going to have to see these people tomorrow. How are you going to respond? What do you, how do you want us to respond? And a good youth group answer probably would have been, you know, let's just ignore them um, and just kind of have fun and not let them ruin our day. And I, I would have been like, yeah, let's, let's get out of here without shedding any blood, you know. Um, but they didn't say that. They said something that was more profound. One of our kids said, we're going to treat them with kindness. And um, as he said that, I said, I started tearing up. I said, is, is that what we're all agreeing that we're going to do? And they said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to share kindness. We're going to be kind to them tomorrow. I said, so we're going to be kind to those who don't deserve our kindness. And I just said, you know, that's what, that's what Jesus did for us. And I said, if you guys can do that tomorrow, if you can live that out, you'll speak more volumes than any, any person who could have preached this weekend. And there was this really empowerment moment for, for our guys. It felt like, yeah, you know what, God's doing something really powerful in this moment. And we went, and, and I go over to Mark West, and I just said, Mark West, you know, what do you want me to do? I'm feeling, I'm feeling like the white guy who just needs to represent our kids really well, and, and, and I'm, I don't know what that's like to be black, and I'm just trying to be humble and listen. And my brother Mark West just said, we need to speak and address this camp tomorrow on these racial issues. In my mind, I'm thinking, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but I'll go do it anyways. And uh, so we woke up early and we went and addressed it. And there was a little confusion there where um, he'll share in a minute. But it was a very powerful moment. We get an opportunity to share this uh, message, Mark West and I, with the entire camp at River Valley Ranch. And we're going to show that video to you, not right the second, but in a minute. But before we do that, I want to let Emily share kind of what some of the girls, she was the main girl leader, and, and how some of the girls were feeling. And uh, just so that they feel... Uh, that, that it's a learning lesson for some, how some of our African-American young ladies felt. So I'm going to let Emily, sh Emily share that, and I'm going to let Mark West come up and share some of his experience. God showed up in so many places in this story. Um, uh, Blake and I found out pretty late at night um, that this had all happened, and um, I think we were all feeling the fatigue of the day, but even so, um, uh, as I sat with our girls and heard their story, um, the, the pain and the anger that they were controlling, um, that they were sitting on, was um, really palpable. Um, and I was explaining to them that as these girls came in, they were going to have to kind of hear some stuff that was a different version of events um, than what they thought happened. Um, and one of the girls um, knew that she wasn't going to be able to handle that. She was too angry, and she actually left before the conversation even started. Um, another girl in the middle of that conversation, as lies were being told to her face, um, got up and walked out of the room in tears. Um, and I went with her and just stood and um, hugged her and cried with her and um, affirmed God's truth for her, that she is beautiful and made in the image of God and that none of the lies that were told about her um, had any truth. Um, and I emphasize all of that because I think it's hard for white people, me included, to understand what it is to be called some of the things that our kids were called. Um, and it's hard to understand the magnitude of what God did in those kids' heart to allow them to extend grace to the kids that were offending them, um, who had wronged them. 
um, if you don't understand the depth of the hurt. And I've never seen our girls work so hard to control their anger, even into the next morning. Um, really had multiple chances to get into it with the girls that they were angry at, um, but never did. They always chose to extend kindness. Um, and that spoke volumes of God's grace in that moment. Um, <clears throat> I would like to say that um, I'm sorry if I, I don't have the type of energy that I had during the first service. Um, I'm so emotionally drained. Mm -hmm. And that emotionally draining feeling that I feel now was how I felt on RBR. Um, coming into the room on that night and me being the last person to hear about what happened and the boys coming up to me and saying, Mark Quest, Mark Quest, and I'm wondering what's going on from playing basketball and and just being as totally exhausted. And they sit there and tell me, yeah, these people from other camp called us nigga, and they did this. And they said, well, we don't belong here. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what? How can this happen? Here, in the Christian camp. And I went to go see where the meeting was at. Um, I walk inside there and truly I just wanted to hear what's the situation and what's going on and is it coming to a revolution? And Blake told me no. He was like, no, nah, you can't come in here. Um, we're doing something. And I was like, no. And then Blake was like, nah, I'm serious. Like, we're doing something right now. I was like, no, because it's not cool being called nigga just because of, of game, just because you was laughed at and you lost the game. And, and the anger that I expressed through that and looking that little girl in the eyes when Emily and Blake was dragging me out uh, of the room and seeing her face start to tear up and seeing the emotions starting to arise from her, I, 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 I knew that this was something much bigger than just playing. This this turned into a situation where our kids was truly affected, but they couldn't show it because when I came back in the room, they just having fun. They just playing around and having the talk. And uh, everybody got like Blake said. Everybody got a chance to speak. And and Joel, as I always say, he said that we can't fight fire with fire. But I said, sometimes you gotta fight fire with fire. So people will let know you can get burnt. And I said that we seen a lot going on in this city. We seen people on drugs. We lost people. We learned what respect is. But I told them, don't ever forget. I told them, don't ever forget what happened, but forgive. And they wanted to forgive in their heart. And I told them to look towards our leaders who are here, who are white, and look towards them and look at the purity in their heart. Um, after we had that and tears were shed, I thought Blake was going to wake me up for a leaves meeting. I told him to wake me up. And I thought Joe was going to wake me up for a leaves meeting. Uh, they wound up not waking me up. Uh, and at that moment, 
of me waking up at eight o'clock, I thought that they did it on purpose because they didn't want me to talk in front of the leaders because they felt as if I would be too angry to express myself. And even through that night, I said, I need to sleep on this. I need to pray on this because how angry I felt was nowhere in the position to say the things that I said. So I walk inside the leaders meeting and we're hearing all the leaders speak. Um, I'm no, sorry about that. I'm listening to the two leaders who was within the meeting. And it's me, Emily and Blake, and I asked them all, why didn't you wake me up? And it wasn't pure response. And it wasn't a response that I did not want where they said, well, I forgot. Um, going from there, I'm just so angry and, and upset and emotionally disturbed. Uh, we get back to the cabin and Blake told tell me that they won't be able to speak in front of the camp. Um, John told him, I don't really, he said, let me think about it. And Blake said, through that experience, usually when somebody say, let me think about it, that's usually a no. So the anger that I felt like of saying no and you taking the kid's voice away in order to address this situation in front of the whole camp was unimaginable. I, I thought about never coming back to the church. I thought about never even talking to Blake and never coming back to the D group through that situation. And then John came up and I asked him, why can we speak in front of the church? Why can't we speak in front of the camp? And he told me, yeah, we're definitely gonna speak, yeah. And at that moment, a wall came down. And I'm like, okay, now what am I gonna say now? <laughs> and um, we went to breakfast and Blake, he talked to the, the girls and the girls was ecstatic to hear that me and Blake was gonna speak in front of the whole camp. Um, going from there in the meeting and before we got up and we spoke, I tried to hurry up and find a, a Bible verse and I have a Bible app. So I bookmark uh, multiple Bible verses that catch my eye and the one that you'll see in the video is the one that caught my eye within that split second. Um, if you wanna take it from there. And uh, we'll just watch the video now so you can see what was said. But uh, last night, uh, there was a situation where there was a little racial tension in RBR. And uh, we have a group that's been coming for about uh, eight years, I think, Blake. And um, it was directed to them. And uh, yeah, it brought some hurt to uh, a wonderful weekend. And so we just want to bring you guys in and hopefully we can deal with it maturely and honorably. And so um, I've asked Blake to come on up. He's going to share a little bit of his heart and then he's going to introduce a, a dear, another dear brother of his. All right. So. Hey guys, I'm, I'm uh, Pastor Blake. I'm over at Faith Christian Fellowship. And uh, it's our eighth time at Winter Meltdown. And we're not here to. Um, I'm up here because I want to represent my kids. And a lot of our students are African-American from Baltimore, and uh, I've gotten the privilege to know them. A little bit about myself is I'm not just their youth pastor, I'm their neighbor. I live, I live three houses away from some of them. And um, 
we came up here because we want to have fun. We want to worship the same God that you guys do. Um, but I have to, I'm, I'm up here because I want to represent them and I want to use this opportunity as a learning lesson so that we could grow. And I want you guys to learn. So it's really important that we, we pay attention to this. But um, when I bring kids up here, uh, sometimes it's very normal for them to not feel uh, 100% welcomed. And it's not necessarily because anybody did anything or said anything, but the surrounding is just the majority of us are white, like you, like myself. And so what happens is you start to realize that you don't necessarily fit in. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of black cowboys. Um, and this is River Valley Ranch. And that's not meant to be a joke, but it's just you look around and you start seeing all those things. You start wondering, okay, do I really belong here? And then when something happens that kind of reassures that, when someone says something or makes them feel this way, we had a student who came last year who didn't want to come this year because he just felt that sometimes. And so um, I want you to start realizing that uh, a lot of times, as white people, we can tend to think that uh, as long as everybody just kind of looks happy and feels happy, that's how it is. But it's not that way for our, our African-American brothers and sisters a lot. And it's very important that we start listening and not assuming or, or, or just kind of thinking uh, that we're always right. Sometimes as white people, I do this, we tend to think that white is right. The way we were raised is the right way. And it's not. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, and matter of fact, my wife and I and my son, we have learned a lot about God from my black brothers and sisters in the community that we live in, uh, much more than I've taught. And so I, I wanted to use this, uh, this, this event that was uh, kind of an ugly thing as actually an event to be changed for good. And so it, we met last night, and I was really thankful with the church. Uh, it, it, on this side of heaven, we're not always going to get the full truth or justice. And, um, and we met, and we came back with the guys last night, and uh, we cried, and they felt that pain, a lot of us. And, and I just tried to listen to my brothers and, um, and share that they shared that. But they just feel reinforced sometimes that they're not welcomed. They're not loving their second class. And we might not mean to do that, but we need to start listening to how we might do that. And that's where I'm going to let my brother Mark West share that maybe how we do that. And listen. And take it. And don't judge. Just listen. And use this opportunity to, to ask God to teach us. Because God's not white. He's not black. He's not anything. He actually says that we're image bearers of him, which means we all are beautifully representing him, even though we're broken in sin, and he's restoring us to that. So I'm going to give it to Mark West. That's all I wanted to share. I was trying to represent my kids. They're the most amazing kids I've ever met. They are, and they, they in spite of the way they felt last, last night, my guys all said, and I didn't make them say this, that we're going to love those people and be kind to them, even though they don't deserve it. And I want you to know that that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He loved us when you didn't deserve it, not because you were worthy of it. And so that speaks so much to the character of, of, of our guys. Uh, but I'm going to let Mark West talk now because I'm, I'm preaching. So go ahead, bro. Right. Throughout this weekend, we all try to treat each other like friends. We play games. We had fun. We tried to be together. 
And I feel like for the people that we was here with, we was together. <clears throat> but nobody deserved to be disrespected on any level. Words like nigga should never be used out nobody's mouth, black or white. It should be nothing but respect to each other. And as I was looking through and then thinking well, what what to say and, and, and how to feel and how can I represent my race and, and, and myself and, and my family and the people who I know and treating people the way I want to be treated and how everybody want to be treated with kindness and love and true respect. I went through John 15, 9, verse 12. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken upon you that my joy might reign in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment. This ye love one another as I love you. And I love every single one of you. We walk past each other. We may bump each other. We may not even look each other in the eye. But I love every single one of you. And we can all get to know each other personally at any level because we all have backgrounds. We all have history. We all cry. We all have pain. But one thing that we all have is Christ. Amen. And truly in my heart as a Christian, I challenged myself, thinking that I was full with God and knowing, knowing that I wasn't. So I left and I wasn't supposed to came. I wasn't supposed to talk to y'all today. For years, I have been a leader. And for years, I've seen so many faces and so many great-hearted people. I don't want to judge nobody by their race. And I don't want nobody to judge me by my race. It's love. It's respect. It's Christ. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to have Marquess close us out. We, we kind of hung out last night for a while at Joel's house, which I was really thankful for, just to let us get some time to digest this. This is like the 15th time we've had to share this, and there's a lot of factors in this whole story and a lot of emotions, and we're just people. Um, but Marquess, I think God really spoke through you last night, and I'm going to have you close us out. So, um, as, as I said in the first service, truly coming back on this Sunday, the Sunday coming from River Ranch, I felt the same feeling, the exact feeling of not belonging here. And I feel like personally, it's a lot of people that's within the community and around Baltimore that feel the exact same way about this church. Uh, truly in my heart, over that weekend, those kids show more of the Holy Spirit in five years that I've been here. And through everything that I've been through, 
I know that Christ is the answer. I know this, this is not about us. This is not about the kids. This is not about the racism. This is not about me, Blake, Emily, nobody. This is all about Christ and how Christ orchestrated these events to bring glory to his name. Um, got somebody in the back who's been my mentor for years. Mr. Cow. Every day, you tell me the same thing. But picking me up from that prayer breakfast when I was 14, and the work that you put in year, year and out, and me watching all your kids grow up, you show me what it means to have a family of God. And you has built, you built me into the man that I am today. I love you so much, Kyle. And I love Christ so much, and I want everybody to experience God's love. That's why we do this. That's why we be with the kids, so they can experience Christ personally. And everybody in here should challenge, challenge of do you really follow Christ? Do you really love God? Do you know God? Because we get too comfortable within coming this Sunday and being here and thinking that we know God. And this is all about Christ. Thank you. Let's take, uh, let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, as we have uh, just heard this uh, amazing, powerful testimony, we recognize that uh, this has been a work of your spirit in the midst of uh, our youth ministry and, and Blake and Marquest and Emily and all the youth leaders and the youth that went uh, to RVR just a few weeks ago. God, we didn't know uh, what would take place, but you did. Uh, and you turned uh, what was an ugly uh, moment into an uh, opportunity of gospel grace. And that uh, we thank you for uh, our leaders and how they led uh, by showing Christ to that camp and, and actually to Baltimore. Uh, we thank you for them. We pray that we'll learn the lessons that as a church, uh, we'll, we'll learn the lessons that you want us to learn. But Lord, that we would see Jesus more in our own hearts. Uh, midst in our own fellowship and and in this community and so god we just commit uh, this to you in jesus name amen reconciliation is exhausting uh, unity building is hard work um but what we have just experienced, uh, what you've just heard, uh, this powerful testimony has been what is uh, called a uh, moment of holy unity, holy unity, uh, an ugly offense and a wound to racism and prejudice at a Christian camp uh, was turned into an opportunity for the gospel of grace to be manifested, uh, for unity uh, to prevail and for Jesus to be revealed. 
and uh, Calvin, uh, John Calvin, he, ex- he used the term holy unity when he was describing uh, some of the aspects of Psalm 133. Uh, 133 is a psalm on the unity of the body of Christ. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on mountain, the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. And the picture that uh, the psalmist is presenting here is uh, this picture that unity, the unity of brothers and sisters in, in the Lord, is a picture of anointing. It's a picture of, of healing, of this oil, this picture of oil of Aaron being anointed for ministry. Uh, is part of what unity does. Uh, it is also a, a, a means of healing, as we know what oil does. And so it's a, a ministry of healing and of anointing of gospel grace. But also he talks about the, the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, falling on Mount Zion, which is kind of an odd picture. But these are you know, mountain peaks that are hundreds and hundreds of miles apart. But, but Mount Hermon was a place of great moisture and uh, uh, fertility, and Zion was arid in a desert land. There was no, there's nothing growing. But the dew of Hermon falling in this desert land uh, was a miracle of moisture and of fruit and of fruitfulness. And so the psalmist is pi- picturing before others that unity is a miraculous work of God's grace. Uh, it is a holy thing. It is a holy unity. Now, Jesus gets more exacting on this as Jesus moves from uh, Jerusalem uh, to the cross. Uh, this is Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, as uh, celebrated as the, the king of Israel, and he's celebrated, but within a week, he will be nailed to a cross. Uh, But in that movement, he prays the greatest prayer that we have in the scriptures in John 17. And we're going to just take a moment just to look at part of that prayer that Jesus prays uh, on John 17 that really uh, unfolds, in a sense, the nature of this holy unity. Uh, John 17, verse 20, Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus gives us really this image, this this calling to holy unity uh, before his Father, and he gives us this prayer. Now, Jesus, in this prayer, he prays to the Father before that he would be glorified in his soon coming death, his imminent death. That as he went to the cross, he prays one thing, that his Father would be glorified through it. When he turns his attention to his disciples, he prays that they would be protected from the evil one, that they would be sanctified by the truth. 
But when Jesus turns his attention to the world, to the watching world, and how the world would know that he came as the only Savior of sinners, he prays one thing. He prays that his disciples would be one as the Father and Jesus are one. There's no other thing that he prays for, how the world would know that Jesus came. It wasn't by words, although obviously words are used and words become a means to proclaim good news. But when Jesus prays, he prays one thing that the world would know that he came, and it's that the body of Christ, the believers, would be one. And so we've been in a series of uh, messages about the signs of John, uh, the signs of John where, or of Jesus where he gives these various miracles and wonders that give evidence that Jesus is indeed the Son of God who's come into the world. We saw the we saw the, uh, the wedding of turning the water into wine. We saw the healing of the, of, the, of the son of the religious ruler. We've seen other healings. We saw the 5,000 or 20,000 being fed. And uh, this week we were going to talk about Lazarus being rose, raised from the dead. But these are all signs. These are wonders, miracles pointing to the reality of Jesus's claims and who he is. Well, Jesus prays this prayer, he is praying for us to be the continuation of a sign, of a wonder, of a miracle that he has come into the world. And what is that sign and that wonder and that miracle that he has come into the world? It is the unity, the holy unity of the body of Christ. It is so important, it's so powerful, it is so real. And so Jesus gives us, and that, you know, the holy unity is what is our sign to be. It is our sign to give. And what is the personality of that unity? The personality is the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together as a, as a triune God. They live in community. They function as community. They have the same mindset. They have the same mission, and they work together. Uh, Carl Ellis said, the Father is the arranger of our salvation. The Son is the accomplisher of our salvation, and the Holy Spirit is the applier. They have different parts, but they are all one in this mission. And what is that mission that he would say that they would save sons and daughters and reconcile sons and daughters back to a holy God. But the power, the power for that unity is found in the verse 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world would know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you hear that? That the Father's love for Jesus is the same love that he has for us. Now, that is a remarkable thing. Have you ever just thought about that you have the same affections, the same passionate love of God the Father that he has for his own righteous, pure son, Jesus? That's what Jesus is praying That's what he is saying. That is an unbelievable statement. 
if that gets a grip into your heart, if you live in that love, it's transformative. But if you don't get it, if you don't live in that love, you won't have the power. The problem in the world, and the reason that the world doesn't know how to be truly united, we can have policies, we can have laws uh, that seek justice, but in terms of transforming the heart, we can't do that. Everybody knows that. And so people still live segregated, and they still live separated, and they still nurture all of the races, all the races of prejudice. But the chief problem in the world is that they don't know the love of God, but the chief problem in the church is that they don't live in the love of God. They don't live in the love of Christ. There was a guy by the name of Chris Rice and Spencer Perkins who uh, were yoke fellows. They were, uh, one was African-American, one was a white guy, and uh, our church has been uh, studying a book, uh, More Than Equals, which is a, a book about their relationship, about yoke fellows in ministry, which is very foundational to a lot of things about our church. But these two brothers uh, worked alongside each other, and there was a lot of fruit, but they, they, they started to have a lot of personality conflicts. They started to really have difficulty being united. And Chris Rice was getting ready to split up. And uh, he, was, he was feeling it wasn't working, and uh, this isn't, this isn't uh, happening anymore. And they, pu- they called in this couple uh, by the name of uh, John, and, uh, John and Judy. Uh, these were two friends that were uh, familiar with their work, and they were kind of like spiritual uh, encouragers or mentors. And they come in, they spend a couple days, and in the process they do a diagnostic question, and they ask, which does the Bible speak more of? Loving God or loving your neighbor? He asked them that question. What does the Bible speak more of? Loving God or loving your neighbor? And uh, they're thinking, loving God. And, and, you know, the scriptures make it clear that, you know, we're to love God, uh, to love our neighbors as we love God. And so uh, this John said, well, you know, I'm pretty anal about this. And I started counting all the Bible verses about loving God or loving your neighbor. And he kind of did a chart of that. And there's a huge list on both. And, and, uh, and so John said he made a discovery. He said, far more, verse, far more than verses about loving God or loving the poor were stories about God's love for us. The most important truth in the world, said John, is not our trying harder to love God or others, but God's act of love for us. And he says, this is what Chris says, if you don't get God's love into your bones, you will become very dangerous people, especially activists like you. The most important person in this community is not Spencer or Chris or any of you or the people in the neighborhood. The most important person in any community is Jesus. Your life has to keep Jesus in the center. The reason that the youth groups, Faith Christian Fellowship's youth groups, were able to demonstrate good news in a hard situation is because Jesus was being kept in the center. And and it was because Jesus was being nurtured in the center over weeks and months and years. Uh, These youths on the middle school gets together on one night a week and the high school kids get together on another night of the week and our leaders meet with them and they play games but they love them 
and they show them the gospel, and they do that kind of discipleship week in and week out. When they went to that camp, yes, it was a test, but the reason they passed the test, the gospel test, is because they had experienced the gospel in their lives over weeks and weeks and months and months and years, and they were ready for that test. And what a glorious response it was that uh, was manifested on that particular uh, camp. And I have to say that, uh, you know, as I, as I heard Mark Quest's challenges, which were amazing a number, I mean, there were so many ways that it could have uh, unraveled into destructive things. He was placed in such a chronic state of confusion and feeling marginalized and disrespected. It could have gone off in many different destructive ways. But what Marquess demonstrated was controlled rage. <laughs> he, he, he demonstrated uh, a righteous anger, and he demonstrated that you can call sin, sin, and you can be righteously anger, angry at the same time that you love your enemies, at the same time as you love those who offend you, so that Jesus would be manifested. And that's what Marquess did. And that's what Marquess has continued uh, to do. And the youth, the boys and the girls who were verbally assaulted, could have reacted in kind and had could have escalated the division in the camp. They could have cursed out those who so foolishly attacked them. They could have just walked away. They, but they held their tongue. They took their offenses to the leaders and they helped, they asked their leaders to process it. And, and even though the offenders at that time hadn't taken ownership or apologized for their offenses, these young people said, we're going to show kindness to them in the face of the offenses. We're going to show God's love to them even though they don't deserve it. Now, where did they get that? Well, they got that in their Bible studies, and their leaders demonstrating love to them as they understood the gospel for themselves. They showed the way. These youths, these middle schoolers and high schoolers showed how to demonstrate gospel grace and unity in the face of offenses, which a lot of adults in our world definitely don't show. And then Blake and the other leaders demonstrated what it meant to be a gospel leader. You know, Blake was exhausted, but what Blake did is that he held the gospel before him. Uh, Joel said, and he saw him praying, it was like he had a 10,000-pound gorilla on his back, but he kept going back to the gospel, and he had his main thing was that Jesus would be exalted, he would represent faithfully the issues that the youth were experiencing before the camp, but he would represent good news. He would represent Jesus in that. And he kept working at it, and he kept engaging, and he really was a mediator in that moment. And in a lot of ways, he was rep representing like being a Moses. Well, other things that you should realize that weren't expressed here is that there were, you know, so the, the youths from this camp that originally uh, were making these offenses, they were denying it, and the, and the leaders couldn't believe that they would say that. But there were two youths from another church that were there that didn't have any relationship with Faith Christian Fellowship youth that came and said, yes, they did say that. Yes, they, they, they did say these wrong things, these racial slurs. 
And, you know, I think about two witnesses, and the scriptures are very clear that if someone causes, you know, has an offense, having witnesses is a big deal. Our, our youths were affirmed in what had happened. And that was, I think, a God moment as well. One of the campers who made those racial slurs confessed that and apologized. The other thing you should know is that the RVR leadership, uh, once they found out and when we called them this week to kind of engage them, within 24 hours they were here. They wanted to, they want to work to make that camp a safe place for all the youths and to see this as a moment, uh, a teaching lesson of reconciliation really in the region. Uh, and so what's the call for our church? Well, I think the call for our church is to continue working at reconciliation, continue to be a body that does the good gospel work of unity building. Uh, but we can only do that as we live in the love of Christ. That's the only way we can do that. And so we need to also pray and encourage our youth and our youth leaders. Now, if you were sitting in the back of the room Monday night when all the youths gathered, gathered together to process this, I can only tell you I was so proud to be in this church and to be a pastor in this church to see the kind of mature responses that our youths had that evening as they processed their pain in a gospel-centered way. Uh, and they were, some of them were, they were asked, Would, do you want to go back next year? And virtually all of the youth did, but there were some that said, no, I, you know, my life is so stressed uh, that I need counseling and I just can't afford to expose myself again to that kind of thing. Uh, a young lady that was there said, I'm having trouble sleeping uh, since this whole thing. This has really rocked me. I want you to pray for our youth. Uh, I want you to pray for their healing. I want you to pray that God would do a deepening gospel work of healing for our youth, and our youth would continue to grow in grace and engage. Uh, but I also uh, want you to be careful about uh, condemning other churches <laughs> or, you know, we all are sinners here. We're all messed up in this, and we have so much to grow in, as Mark Quest even mentioned in, at, at the close. We need to grow in grace. We need to grow in our unity and to be able to love each other in community, to love the community of Penn Lucy. And so, but we can only do that. We can only make progress as we understand Christ's love for us. And so this week, as we think about the cross, as we think about Jesus' movement towards the cross, we need to recognize that when he moved towards the cross, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He individually had you in his heart when he was arrested, when he was tortured, and when he was crucified. And as he reached out his arms, he not only was uniting you and me to the Father through his blood, he was uniting us together as one body, as one person, as one church. And let us live in that unity. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful that you have met us this day in this place. Uh, we thank you for, for Blake and Marquess, for Emily, for all the youth leaders and the youth that have gathered in this place week in and week out to experience and to experience your good news. Lord, we pray that we would be a faithful church and that we would see uh, a gospel of 
uniting grace of holy unity to be uh, a means that would advance across this landscape in Baltimore and beyond, so that you would be acknowledged and that you would be And so we commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together.